The Work in Sports podcast moving forward is brought to you by Empowered. This is the most important election of our time. And let's be honest, voting during a pandemic is a little confusing right now. There's so much misinformation out there aimed towards making you believe your vote doesn't matter. It's called voter suppression and we need to stop it. Your vote does matter. Voting is the most important responsibility of citizens. Do not give up that power or that right. Get engaged, informed, and ready to vote all with one app called Empowered, E-M-P-O-W-R-D. I've used it. I learned a lot. It made me feel more confident through this entire process. I got my ballot last week. I filled it out and uh, dropped it off in an official ballot box, and I'm feeling good. Pennsylvania is ready to rock. All these top athletes are out there supporting this great app. It makes it easier for you to get all the information you need to vote. So please get involved, download the app today, and get empowered. Empowered, E-M-P-O-W-R-D. June 2014, just six years ago, the Atlanta Hawks finished their season 38 and 44 and were bounced in the first round of the playoffs. Their general manager at the time, former NBA player Danny Ferry, was in a conference call with team owners and organizational stakeholders outlining his offseason plans and possible targets in free agency. Luol Deng was a free agent. Ferry, during the call, described Deng as a player who, quote, has a little African in him and, quote, a guy who would have a nice store out front and sell you counterfeit stuff out of the back. The comments became public after being leaked. Ferry claimed he was only reading comments from a scouting report compiled by someone else. The team concluded from their own commissioned investigation that Ferry's remarks did not include offensive language and were not motivated by racial or ethnic animus. You can judge that for yourself, with or without a commissioned investigation. But that wasn't the end of the Hawks' problems. At the same time, the franchise's controlling owner, Bruce Levinson, reported that he sent out a racist email two months earlier, criticizing the Hawks' predominantly African-American fan base. The email was sent to Ferry, and it detailed Levinson's belief that the Hawks' fan base was, quote, overwhelmingly black, and the black people scared away whites from attending games. Levinson also wrote that the Hawks games were attended by a 70% black crowd with predominantly black cheerleaders, hip-hop music, 90% black patrons at the arena's bars, and fewer fathers and sons at the games. He added that concerts at the games were mostly hip-hop or gospel, thus attracting more African-American fans. Levinson sold his interest in the Hawks upon revealing his email to the NBA. October 7th, 2014, just a few months later from all of this, Hawks CEO Steve Coonan, seeing a need for change in his organization, posts a job listing for a chief diversity and inclusion officer. We often think roles in diversity and inclusion are the norm in sports, that there are people and staff dedicated to the process of equality in workplace, culture, hiring practices, benefits, deeper cultural awareness, education, sensitivity, and that these people in these roles have always been there guiding the ship of cultural equity. But when Steve Coonan and the Atlanta Hawks hired Zing Shaw to be the chief diversity and inclusion officer in the fall of 2014, she was the first in the NBA. Amazingly, when Zing Shaw left the Hawks in 2019 to join Starbucks as their global chief inclusion and diversity officer, she was also the first to hold that role at Starbucks. Five years ago, diversity and inclusion roles didn't really exist in sports. And while it is important to note that diversity officers and DNI executives are now being included in every sports organization's corporate structure, the fact it took this long and this big of a problem to make it happen is sad. The Hawks, in case you were wondering, during Shaw's reign, turned their image around in the Atlanta community. 
They created all staff service days with six service projects in the city, accumulating a thousand combined hours of community service. They had a float in the Atlanta Pride Festival with current and former players and employees riding on the float and throwing 2,000 basketballs to the crowd with Pride and Hawks logos on them. They became an organization focused on fairness, equity, and inclusion. I won't list all the actions they have taken to change their image, but suffices to say they are all meaningful. This is a great turnaround story. We love stories where characters find a new truth and are reformed and changed. They go through an evolution. These types of stories have always been very popular in our culture. But what if this happened at a smaller, lesser profile team or league or sports connected organization? If a minor league baseball team's GM talks about a player in the same fashion Danny Ferry did, it doesn't become national news. It doesn't spark change. It doesn't inspire introspection. It just happens. And it likely happens again and again and again. The human mind likes to come to conclusions. Job done. Problem solved. Everything's better. Because that is easier than acknowledging there is still great work to do. When we hear and read about positive growth, like in the Hawks organization, we clamor to say problem solved, mission accomplished, but it isn't. Four years ago in Ohio juvenile court, Mitchell Miller, remember that name, Mitchell Miller, admitted to bullying an African-American classmate with developmental disabilities. Miller called the young black boy the N-word, called him brownie, repeatedly hit him, And trust me, this is hard for me to even say out loud, tricked the developmentally disabled young black boy into licking a candy pop that Miller and another classmate had wiped in a bathroom urinal. This isn't an accusation or alleged because after initially lying to school officials about his involvement, Miller and the other boy admitted to the misdemeanors, primarily because there was video of the incidents. A quote from the victim's mother. It, the video, was absolutely brutal. Had Mitchell not pled guilty, the video would have been released. It would have been so much worse on Mitchell because of the brutality to our son. He's smashing his head against a brick wall. Both boys involved were sentenced to 25 hours of community service, were ordered to write an apology, participate in counseling, and pay court costs. According again to the mother of the victim, the other boy not named Mitchell Miller, went further than the court-mandated letter of apology. He personally apologized to their son and broke down in tears while doing so. Miller did not. He never personally apologized, just sent the court-mandated letter, checked the box. He did the bare minimum of what the court mandated. In the 2020 NHL draft, held just a few weeks ago, the Arizona Coyotes drafted Mitchell Miller in the fourth round. We just aren't there yet. This is the final episode of our Moving Forward podcast series. To join me in today's conversation about barriers to entry in the sports industry for minorities, please join me in welcoming Jose Lopez, Brittany Barber, and Brandon Lewis. So Jose, let's kick it off with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, I'm Jose. I am a recent graduate of the University of South Florida. I am currently with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as a game day customer service representative. Um, and yeah, that's that's me. Brittany? I am a current graduate of the University of Central Florida Sports Management Program. I graduated in the spring of this year. I recently was an intern for the Atlanta Braves uh, spring training, but unfortunately got canceled due to COVID. And so now I'm currently working with the University of Miami as a student assistant for their Kane Central office. Oh, that's great. Brandon, a little bit about your background. Hey everybody, uh, my name is Brandon Lewis. I am a, a recent grad of Johnson Wells University. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and currently right now I am assisting uh, women, coaching women's basketball at Belmont Abbey College. Fantastic. Brittany, let's kick us off with you. The number one female tennis player in the world, Naomi Osaka, is 23 years old. She's not just a force in women's tennis, she's a force in the battle for social justice, using her platform to raise awareness. 
Kobe Bryant was a mentor to her. And at one point she told Kobe that she wanted to be just like him. And he then looked at her and said, no, be better. And even saying that again now, I've read it a thousand times. I, even saying it now, I get the chills again, just that moment, right? I hear this and I, I also wonder if there isn't a lot of pressure on your generation to keep pushing this battle beyond what previous generations have been able to do, do you feel that pressure? Yeah, I definitely do, but it's not in a negative way. I feel like when I think about, especially that quote to be better, I just look at it at this way. I always was taught that you have to be twice as good as especially for me I have to be twice as good as my male counterpart so I feel that that pressure is just a constant reminder that I have to constantly keep pushing and to do better than the generations uh, before me because yes we've made a lot of strides in diversity inclusion and or just racial tensions in this country as a whole since the the 50s but you know we still have a long way to go and if our generation aren't pushed to do better than the previous then the generation after us will not have anything to show for it and we almost can you can almost say that we almost let down the next generation because we didn't continue the fight that our ancestors have basically done their whole lives so yes I do feel the pressure but it's it's just a driving force that continues to keep me in wanting to do better and be better and you know get into positions that I never thought I would in the past and um, just continue to break those barriers. I want to follow up with you on that. Does when you see something like that, when you see Naomi out there at the U.S. Open at this major event, going through the championship rounds, and every time wearing a different mask. Does that inspire you? Do you feel that power? It definitely does. It's the fact that she's taking her her platform and using it to bring awareness to things that, you know, some people might not even know exactly what's going on, even though, yes, yeah, she wore Breonna Taylor. A lot of people already know what's going on with Breonna Taylor and that the fact that she still needs justice and the George Floyd and all and Trayvon Martin. A lot. Some people might have forgotten about Trayvon Martin because it happened so long ago. I believe that was what, 2013. I was a freshman in college when that happened I remember watching that trial in my dorm room so the fact that she brought you know she's bringing that that awareness back because you can't be quiet about these situations anymore you have to you have to make people uncomfortable in order for change to actually be to be made yeah I totally agree Philando Castile many other names in there that needed to be brought back to the forefront uh Brandon when I was in college, and we're going back a couple decades now, I hate, I hate to date myself, but it's true. Um, seriously, my whole focus was on like, let's have a good time. I'm going to graduate and get a good job, right? I didn't have to worry about too much. It was a pretty simple world for me. Uh, I've personally acknowledged my own privilege a thousand times on this show. Uh, and I'm not here to martyr myself. I'm just saying like, yeah, I can acknowledge it. I can be honest about it. But let's really contrast this. What has your world been like the last four years as we've dealt with these massive issues as a society, pandemics, everything going on? Like, how has your world felt and your focus? Uh, my world's been, you know, pretty crazy up and down. Um, like, Brittany, um, you have to be twice as good, not only, you know, just out and about in, you know, in your industry, but just also walking around um, for myself, just being a young African-American male. Um, there's certain things that I have to think about in certain ways I have to, you know, you know, do when I'm in certain situations. Um, you see everybody just, you know, having a good time. And you want to live your life, of course. You're not saying you want to live in fear, but there's just certain things you have to think about. Um, I like to, I heard this analogy and it kind of stuck, you know, with me and it's kind of, you know, I want to bring it to light. And it's being a, you know, a young African-American male not in this world, it's it's like being left-handed and, and trying to use right-handed scissors, right? A lot of people don't think about it until you're actually put in that situation. So for me personally, you know, like I said, going to school in Johnson Wells in Charlotte, North Carolina, and being from Charlotte, I was there um, at, when they had the, the riots here in Charlotte, and my dorm is literally in the middle of the city. So I can see it off the top of my balcony. Um, and I was getting calls and texts from family and friends. They're talking about, are you going out there? 
Um, and a part of me was I want to go out there and, and you know see what's really happening on the front line, but also another part of me is I want to live to see another day, right? Like there's certain things, like I said, you have to really think about and understand that, you know, if you're out there in that situation, not only are you putting harm to yourself, but somebody else is out there getting harm. So, like I said, even with the, the pandemic going on and with, you know, the social injustice, it's a, it's a lot of different things, you know, you, you think about. And I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of people, you know, like I said, they go about living their life. And by all means, I'm not saying don't, but you just have to be a lot more aware, and a lot more cautious out there. The fact you have to even consider, you know, that going out and being a part of something as being a risk to your life is is just awful. The Work in Sports podcast moving forward is brought to you by 26 Marketing Agency, founded by former guest and personal favorite Rashida Gale. Rashida, how are you? Hi, Brian. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's good to talk to you again. I mean, our podcast episode we did last year was fantastic and the fans loved it. So tell us a little bit about 26 Marketing. You went out on your own in the last year. What's the mission and purpose of your business? What's your goal? So 26 Marketing Agency is a sports and entertainment agency that maximizes clients' brands and exposure while creating cultural and meaningful brand collaborations. Essentially, I started this business because I thought, or not thought, I really felt that the marketing space was changing, specifically for millennials and Gen Zs. And so we are, we're absorbing content from digital platforms and athletes and the influence that they had 10 years ago is not the same anymore. We're really looking at personalities. We're looking at individuals who can do really well in front of the camera and create content that can reach millions of fans, millions of customers, etc. Um, so I thought, you know, while I was at my previous firm, I just felt a desire to go out and start my own thing and really put my vision to life. And so I created 26 Marketing, which really hones in on innovation and hones in on the expansion of the marketing space and taking reign of that and developing what the future will look like. I love the way the marketing has changed for professional athletes. We're getting to learn so much more about them as humans. We're getting to understand their voice and their vision for themselves and what they believe in. And I personally love that. I love the fact that we're seeing them more as humans with a voice and a platform than just a commodity. So kudos to you for doing that. How crazy, I mean, starting a starting a new agency in this year is, is, is I, I commend you, it's impressive. How is, how is year one gone for you? Year one is better than expected. I've read a couple books that talk about companies netting zero the first three years. Like it is common for you to struggle in the initial phases of creating a business. And I'm just really thankful that I had a book of business prior to forming this entity, forming this agency. So we were, I was able to bring all of my business over to my new company and really have something, a foundation there. Um, so the business has gone really well. I have a staff of about 10 individuals who are amazing people. I have a partner, Kyle Jacobson, who is literally my right hand, supports me in everything I do. So I'm just super, super thankful that we have a good team. We have a foundation. The company has grown. We've gone into the influencer space. We've gotten into the esports space. We're definitely expanding. We're into brand consulting. We're even um, about to create our content creation division. So it's the sky's the limit at this point. That's so exciting. We're going to have to have you on the podcast again to dive into everything that you're up to and what's going on. For all the people listening, all the executives and all the people in the sports world and athletes who are listening to this website, listening to this podcast interview, how can they learn more about 26 Marketing and all you're up to? So you can visit our website, 26 ma.com which is marketing agency stands for marketing agency we also have our instagram at 26 ma our linkedin at 26 ma our twitter at 26 ma everything is 26 ma (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much rashid it's great to learn about what you're up to and and know that you're changing the world of marketing for the better so thank you so much thank you for having me brian really appreciate it jose you currently work for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Lightning, and Bucks head coach Bruce Arians has been very vocal. He always is. I mean, guy's a pretty vocal guy, but he's been vocal in his support of social justice initiatives. Uh, he's hiring women. His defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, special teams coordinator, and assistant head coach are black men in key leadership roles. How important is this? How important is it to see true representation in the organization you work for, and how empowering is that to know? 
No, it's huge. Um, I, I love Bruce Arians with uh, uh, every time he speaks out. He he spoke out uh, earlier before the season started, and it rubbed some people the wrong way. I believe he said that uh, protesting doesn't matter. Um, I don't necessarily agree with him there. I believe that protesting does matter. Um, but what his point of like, what his point was that you actually have to make a change, go out and make a change. I believe he's doing a great job. Again, what you said, all of uh, coordinators are black men he's hiring uh women coaches i believe that really does a, a a a great it really does great for just to see those people in those positions uh it, it gives us motivation that that it, it is possible even though it's it's a lot harder but it can happen yeah, it's just important to see representation. I know Gerald and uh, Jalen and I, in the first episode of this series, talked about Jason Wright being hired by the Washington football team as team president. And those moments matter. That matters when somebody is put into a position of, of great leadership and responsibility, and then others can see and admire and reach for that goal. Brittany, I want to come to you. In 2020, I don't want to get all crazy stat-driven, but I'm going to drop some data points here, okay? So in 2020, Major League Baseball received a B grade from the Institute for Diversity and Ethics in Sports, TIDES. And uh, that's their overall grade based on a whole bunch of factors. I went through the research study. It's very interesting. When you get a little deeper into the data, they received a D plus, a D plus for gender hiring in professional administration, a C minus for gender hiring in senior administration, and a B plus for gender hiring in their central office. That to me screams out, we got a long way to go. As a woman bro- breaking into this industry, how does that make you feel? Well, I looked through the report as well because I used to be one of the editors. So I, every time oh, I see one come out, I didn't so even know that. My I, research wasn't as strong as I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> but um, just, just looking at, just from my experience with doing the report when I was in grad school and the one that just came out now, the the grade for the central office it definitely increased and that you know that gave some type of hope because it's i believe 40 percent and so that's almost half so that's great but i wish that the team offices and the offices below would reflect the same thing because if the high office is being able to have these hiring practices that have almost 40 percent women in high positions why isn't the same thing happening in the the team offices and then that's like for something for a woman like myself that I necessarily never wanted to work in a league office per se I wanted to personally work with a team to personally work with players and but it, it it that doesn't give enough hope for me because like you said like we said the the grade was a deep the D plus and that's and it was like 20 20% give or take of how many women they hire and it, it just shows that there's still a lot of work that needs to be done and the higher ups need to hold their 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 uh, their teams accountable for their the way they hired their candidates and they can't just have a mentality that okay diversity is just hiring racially it is hiring women because we you can hire men of color and have white men in the office and you all have some differences in perspective but at the end of the day you don't have the woman's perspective and on a mark if you look at at on a marketing standpoint if you want women to be your your fan base or you want to bring more women into your fan base and you don't have any women making decisions in regards to your league or your team then how can you expect to to cater to that that demographic is not possible and yet they can have them hiring secretaries and uh office assistants isn't equating to these senior level positions baseball has done a lot better and giving women senior positions but they still need have a lot of work to do i believe if i read the report right there was 29 uh vice presidents i can't remember i don't quote me on that but <laughs> but it's it's still a lot of work to be done uh nba is a great uh is great when it comes to racial and gender hiring so i feel like a lot of sports need to look at what they're doing and try to implement it in their in their hiring practices but we still have a lot of work to be done but it is it is uh refreshing seeing 
these increases in gender hiring because it does give me hope that okay maybe just because I am a woman and originally men will be like oh you're a woman you don't really know sports like that but this is the industry that I've studied this is the industry that I've been in as an athlete on one side and I just wanted to come over to the business side so it gives me hope but we still have a lot of work to be done I'll go off track here for a quick second there's so much going on right now I see it constantly out there where there's a lot of um, men acting as if they have like ownership of sports. Like they're the only possible ones that could grow up with sports knowledge. And they're the only possible ones that could really understand it. It becomes very frustrating, even for a man like me who came up in the industry, who has worked with women, who has worked for women. I've had plenty of women, female bosses in the sports industry and never once thought to myself, some of my best friends in the industry, some of the best journalists I know, are women. And I never once thought to myself, like, they don't really know what they're talking about. So all these idiotic men who talk that way don't deserve the conversation to be had about them, don't deserve the people fighting back against them, don't deserve the people even giving them any gravitas. Like, just ignore those people, because most people that are in the industry don't think that way about the women they work with. I will tell you that. So I'll just give you a little bit of insight there, since I'm somebody that's been in the industry for 25 years. That's the other people on the outside that talk that way, not the people that are in the industry, at least from my experience. Uh, Brandon, we're going to drive back into the Institute for Diversity and Ethics in Sports, which we now know Brittany's a editor for. So I got to be careful that I say things accurately. Former now. editor. Former I got you. I got you. So I got into this. I got into the research studies and started reading and reading and reading more. And as as Brittany pointed out, the NBA and WNBA do an incredible job, uh, and some other leagues don't. And you start to go through this, and one that really stood out to me was college sports. The NCAA was the worst getting just a C-plus overall grade for their racial and gender hiring practices. I'll quote from the study, it is embarrassing to see the collegiate institutions who pride themselves on the idea of diverse and inclusive hiring practices not hold their athletic departments accountable in the same regard. That's about as heavy-handed as, of a tongue lashing as you get in a research paper. Um, this seems like an area we should focus. How do we break down that barrier to entry for important roles in NCAA sports, which should be, to me, the absolute best training ground for people who want to work in sports? It really should be. College athletics should be where everyone is welcomed in underneath that, that umbrella. How do we fix this problem? Um, I, I think there's multiple ways to fix the issue. Um, first, with institutes um, at, in the AD level, um, I do want to give a you know quick shout out to Velma Abbey College. Uh, Dr. Stephen uh, Miss, um, the AD at Belmont Abbey, um, is really big on diversity and, and making sure that we have that change and that trickles down to all our sports athletic programs and even down in our coaching staff. Uh, my coaching staff is very diverse um, in all different aspects and age and, and gender. Um, so that's one quick shout I want to give out. But I think an, an issue to kind of help fix that is, you know, understanding, you know, my biggest thing is, you know, and to empower the power, if that makes sense. So understanding that I am, a you know, a male coaching women's basketball, that my whole job is I, I want to, you know, be kind of a mentor or a father figure to these women to understand like, hey, that, you know, that NCAA had one of the worst. I think you said it was a, a you know, D minus. C plus, um, but it does in in some areas they were they were in the D level for sure. So yeah, with with that you know understanding that like understand that you are that the new generation that's you know coming up and changing. Um, a, a lot of it just comes from just being uncomfortable, you know, being comfortable in com uncomfortable situations. If that makes sense, um, understanding that a lot of people don't you know want to have that you know diverse initiative because they don't want the the confrontation and then that, to me that's closed minded, right? Um, it doesn't do us any good if we all agree or we all look alike because that's not expanding you're not learning you're not you know you're not helping you know not only yourself but you're not helping your institute grow if you look at college athletics as a whole like you said it's one of the the most diverse things for people of different backgrounds from players um alumni to boosters it's just everybody rallies around their you know their university um and just in supporting each other in all different aspects so there's many different things we can do uh to change like i said starts from, from Brittany said like from the higher up um, understanding that putting people in, in just the front office positions or a receptionist is, is, is not going to get the job done you want to get somebody in a position where you know they can kind of challenge a little bit um of your mindset and thinking you know to bring a more diverse um group together 
Hello everyone, I am Niall Hooker and I'm the face behind the magic. Hooked on Sports is a platform that I've created to put a spotlight on athletes in several different arenas. Instead of having to search for multiple players, you can come to Hooked on Sports for a one-stop shop. I'll be highlighting your favorite athletes to show you a side of their lives that you normally don't get to see. Tune in every week to get a glimpse of what's in store and get hooked on sports. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore hooked on sports. This was one of our biggest roles when I was the news, news director at Fox Sports Northwest is that everybody that came into the building as a new entry level employee, what we wanted to point out, like where you can go, where your next steps are, how to get there. What do you need? Right. Additional training, whatever that was. You want to paint a picture for somebody that says this isn't the end. This is a beginning, you know, and you want to be able to train and set them up for success to go through the industry so that they are mid-level management, they're executive management, they're in leadership positions. And that should be the case for everybody across all, you know, races, creeds, genders. Um, Jose, let's talk personally. What do you feel in your experience so far, post-graduation, getting into the sports industry? What have been the biggest obstacles for you? Um, I would say there are two really big obstacles. Um, I believe uh, the two obstacles are entry-level pay in sports is, uh, is, is really tough, and uh, the networking uh, uh, aspect of, of getting into sports. Um, so first, with the entry-level pay, like I'm, I'm an immigrant. I come from a single mother household. Like I want to provide for my mom. Like I can't be doing that on a on a twenty thousand entry. $20,000 a year, like entry level position. And so it's tough. It's, I've been, <laughs> it's tough. Um, so that's a huge one. And then the networking, uh, I'm sure you, I mean, you talked to Gerald, I'm sure he told you about all the stories from uh, the summer, the winter baseball meetings in San Diego and how tough it was to, to fit in and, and, and have a, a positive experience there. Um, so, and that's all throughout sports. So, those are the two biggest things that are, I see are, are difficult to get into into sports for sure. Brittany, what about you? Well, personally, being an athlete, my biggest issue was going through college as an athlete. I never had the opportunity to do an internship or to get the experience that I needed. So that's why once I did graduate, I did decide to go right back into school because I wasn't able to get any positions anywhere because I even... I love the Bucks, but I I put it, I did it in, I wanted to do an internship with them, but their requirements were you had to either still be in school to in in order to get the internship, and I was like, well, <laughs> I didn't have time to because I was a student and an athlete, and all my time went towards either or, so that was my biggest thing, and then. Just and then off of what Jose was saying, the the pay for entry level jobs and even the for internships. Even while I was in grad school, I attempted to do an internship, but they weren't paying. And I had I, I was paying for school myself. I had to work. I I had to I had to get two part time jobs. I was a grad assistant doing the um, tides reports, and then I had to get a serving job on the side because. I couldn't pay all my bills. I had rent to pay. So it's it's a it's that's one thing about the sports industry that has to improve because not and that that gives a disadvantage to a lot of people of color because we don't necessarily always have that those parents that are able to support us through us doing an internship. Thankfully my parents were able to help me but they couldn't pay all my bills and school and pay in all the other little different expenses that I had. So I wasn't able to take these internships in order to get where I need to be. As, so when I do want to apply for these true jobs, they're asking, where's your experience? I'm just like, well, I can only use the experience that I have from my serving job or these just my little temporary jobs that I have to combine into something that might be worth using in an actual sports job. So that's a, a really big one. And then also the networking is really hard sometimes when, especially for myself, most of the people that I have as contacts in the sports industry look like me. The 
when I try to reach out to people to get, you know, just interviews, just uh, informational interviews about the position to get more information on like, okay, what do I need to do as someone who's starting out to get where you are? Or because I want to be do more like team operations logistics. And when I reach out to those people, either I don't get a response, especially if they don't look like me, the ones that do look like me, they're like, yeah, great, I'll definitely, you know, get on a call with you. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll sit down and um, we'll talk about some things. But most of the time, they're either women, or they're people of color. It's, I, it's very rare that I've had a conversation with someone who a white male and that's a hard situation especially when majority of the sports industry does comprise of white men so I think that's a big thing that needs to be fixed and more people need to be more willing to you know offer their help to students that are coming up and then just be more open to it I'll talk anytime you want <laughs> gotcha <laughs> All right, uh, Brandon, I want to hear from your perspective, too. Uh, you were the Charlotte Knights in inside sales for a little bit. Uh, the pandemic has really hurt minor league baseball. As you alluded to earlier, you are now coaching at Belmont Abbey. Um, what's your experience been like breaking into the industry? Have you helped, have you faced some challenges? Breaking the industry at uh, and distance sports in general was tough to kind of go back on what Jose and Brittany talked about with you know the networking and relationships. Um, sometimes I, I could speak for myself personally, but um, sometimes you feel like the relationship is not genuine, if that makes sense. Um, a lot of times you want to, for most people, you, at least like I said, for myself personally, like I said, I can only go back and speak, is it's, it's hard to know how to reach out or who to reach out with to when there's not a lot of people, like Jose and Brittany said, that look like you. If that makes sense, we're we're not we're not visible. What we see people that look like me are the ones playing the sports. We don't see anybody in there that's you know working in marketing or in sales or in finance or in HR. So you feel like you're reaching out, but you're not getting a response, or you're not getting a response at all. And it's it's just tough, you know. Like you have to really understand that you have to be diligent and continue to work hard. Whether that you know. Personally, what I did that kind of helped me at Belmont Abbey is actually take the initiative um, and drove up there and actually speak to somebody. In the midst of COVID, I know it's probably not the smartest or the safest thing to do. Um, still wore a mask, but just going up there and initially looking to speak to somebody, that's how I got in the opportunity. Um, and then later that night, I actually got a call uh, from the head coach, Jason Williams, and he was like, hey, man, like the initiative that you took to actually come out here and wanted to be a part of our program, um, I'm willing to give you an opportunity. And I always thank him every day personally of you know, the opportunity for me to kind of get on that you know, operational, you know, work, working on the coaching side of things um, with my to go back a little bit with the time of the night it was wonderful i learned so much um ultimately new sales wasn't really for me um but i learned a lot like i said you learn how to you know be a risk taker you learn how to talk to people and ultimately you're always selling whether you're selling you know yourself um and whatever case that may be so like i did take that and transform to where i am at belmont abbey um, but my experience has been you know life-changing i actually can say that i go to work and i love what i do every single day um and now with that i'm giving back to people that you know want to get into coaching um people that you know just have insight and questions i'm always yeah you know i'm in this practice or doing other things but like like Brittany said, right, I'll, I'll take a call, 15, 20 minutes. Here's my number. Text me if you have any questions. Even sometimes I'll send little things and be like, hey, I might not be the best person you want to reach to if you're trying to get uh, X, Y, and Z, but I know a person here. You call that person. That person can, can, definitely, can definitely help out. Uh, so like I said earlier, just, you know, I'm in a position now to empower the power. My biggest thing is there's always people that want my position, and you have to understand that, yes, you have to continue to work hard and be diligent, but understand that one day, your whole job is to mentor and, and groom people for when you leave that they're ready to be prepared to take your spot. Yeah. It's like we were talking about in the first part where we were talking about Naomi Osaka and saying, you know, there's pressure on the, your generation to, to, to make change. And then you guys are going to apply some pressure to the generation after you too, to con continue pushing that forward. And that's probably a good thing. Right. Um, 
Jose, so diversity amongst leadership positions in sports is incredibly important. We talked about Jay Wright. We talked about some other roles and people that are representative. But we also need to see diversity in both race and gender in all parts of the organization. You know, entry-level roles, mid-level jobs, executive leadership, ownership. You know, these are important positions that need to be diverse in our leadership. Um, You're in entry-level roles with the, the Lightning and Bucks. What does your environment look and feel like? You know, when you look around, do you feel represented? And do you feel like you're part of the organizations? Have you felt welcomed? Mm-hmm. Uh, I've definitely felt welcomed. I am a people's person, so I always try to make everything as easy as it can be. You seem so um, shy. I never would have guessed oh, that. No, I'm super shy. But, <laughs> but um, with, uh, with the Lightning, my manager was actually Lakeisha Sharp. She is a black woman, and I... I love that lady so much. Like she re- really made me feel welcome. Um, but like I think it was me and one other person in the in the sales team that that spoke Spanish. So there's not a lot of representation that way. Um, and with the Bucks, I did not see a, another person of color working with in, in my position. So it, it is tough. Um, I like to see it as a challenge. Um, I can, I will break in and I will make my stance known and I'll, I will speak my mind and, and I will help whoever needs help. I, I speak two languages. So that puts me in an advantage. Like I don't, tr- I don't try to see it as a disadvantage, but I definitely don't see the representation as much. Brandon, if you were in charge of hiring and someday you will be, all three of you guys will be, you'll be in these kind of roles how would you ensure a diverse workplace? Like what would you be your process or your methodology for making sure not only the best people got hired, but a diverse and inclusive workplace? Definitely. Um, for, for me personally, the, the first thing I would do is when I see, you know, a resume or a stack of resumes come across my desk or on my computer. Um, first thing I would do is delete the name, the number and where they're from. Because I think a lot of people put that unconscious bias in when they see a name, they automatically assume, and you're, most of the time you're, you can go with your gut feeling and you, you can kind of guess, you know, a little bit about that person just off a name and where they're from. So for me personally, I would, if it's on paper, fold it up or tear it off, or if I'm on a computer, completely just erase it or, or write it out and really, you know, see the person's qualifications and experience and you know what they have to offer um, and then from there from the people that you know sometimes they might not have the best you know resume on paper um, you still want to take a I would say a couple handful of them and still just talk to them because sometimes people on paper they're they're not you know what they are uh, you might see somebody on paper that looks stellar and then you get them in person and they're they're not a, excuse me to Jose's point they're not a people person they really don't care. They don't have the work ethic or the drive, and vice versa. You might see somebody that on paper doesn't look too well, but they're the best fit for your company. You understand that you know they can really help. So for me, it's just you know honestly taking you know that risk and understanding that it shouldn't matter um, of your name, where you're from, you know your religion, your race, anything, male, female. You literally want the best candidate to help you and your company grow. And understand sometimes you're going to take that calculated risk. There might be somebody that, you know, just like I said, on paper, but it's not really it, but still get an opportunity to at least speak and, and hear their mind. I think we've all been in positions, you know, even like you, Brian, at one point where you just, I just need an opportunity. Like, I just want the opportunity. I'm going to apply. I may not be the best qualified, but if I get that email response and says, hey, we want to interview and you know that you can bust down the door and, and, and work your way. And so for me personally, like I said, it is eliminating the first, you know, unconscious bias of the name or that person's from and, and really look at that person's, you know, you know, resume and experience. And then also thing that you can do is, is, you know, call the references, you know, just out of the blue and ask, you know, don't say too much, just be like, Hey, um, I saw that, you know, John Doe here, you know, is, you know, looking to apply here. Just want to kind of hear your thoughts and, and, and do it for multiple people. Um, try to do as much research on you can. I know a lot of companies now they use social media to kind of get a, a different insight on that person. Um, but, you know, it, it is what it is at, at the end of the day. But like I said, just having that opportunity to give everybody a chance. Like I said, if you have a pile of 300 resumes, obviously you're not going to call on 300, just, just time and, and stuff like that. But just really understanding that you know you really want a diverse background because 
it's going to only help you and your company grow. I think that's great. I think that's a wonderful idea and it should be something that's put into practice. Um, Brittany, the final question of this entire four part series, the pressure is on you. It's coming your direction. Uh, Thank you guys for being a part of this conversation. I think it's, I think it's so important and I hope that as you guys have listened to the other episodes and as I've talked with all the different people from your field cohort, that you do feel listened to and that you do feel like you have a platform too. So I I thank you guys before we get into this last question, just for being a part of this. Um, So Brittany, sometimes it feels to me like we either talk about race or we talk about gender and we can't keep both things in our head at once. Like we're not a multitasking society where we can really comprehend more than one issue at a time. How do we make sure in this discussion and in all of these discussions that through this long history of racial unrest that we still say women need support and representation in sports too. Do they need to be separated? Can we bring it all together? What do we do to make sure that it's not one thing or the other, it's all? Right. Uh, I Honestly, I just feel like our society as a whole needs to broaden our spectrum of what diversity really means because nowadays when you hear diversity all you think about is oh we have to hire somebody of color that's not all that matters like women are out here too we and we need to intertwine the two we don't it shouldn't be a Oh, it has to either be race or it has to be women. It needs to start to be both. And I, to give a concrete answer of how to do that, I honestly, I don't know. But we just have to start making having those conversations and forcing people to widen the spectrum and think, okay, when I'm talking about a diversity hire, does it just have to be somebody of color? And like I said, with the sports industry of it being a lot of men of color getting hired in a lot of these positions for uh, for like coaching jobs and things like that. It's not just men of color. You have women, white women who play sports that are well equipped of being a coach or being a general manager or anything in that in that realm that can do the job just as well as a man of color or a white man. It, it just needs to, we just need to start having those conversations. And I feel like people shy away from women being in the conversation just because, oh, we got to deal with race first. No, it's a joint issue that needs to be addressed, but it, it's going to take a lot of time. I, I, I know it's not going to happen overnight and there's still a lot of work to be done, but we just have to consciously make ourselves aware of what we're doing in regards to hiring and talking about diversity more it it goes more deeper than just if it's somebody of color we need to involve women as well because we are a marginalized group as well and like I'm a double minority I'm a woman and I'm a black woman so I know that there's always that oh are you black or are you a woman first I'm no I'm both and I can fight for both and I can fight for people who look like me just because of my skin color and I can fight for people who look like me because of my genetic makeup like I'm a woman but I'm I'm a black woman I'm okay with that and I am happily and proudly will say that all over the place I am a proud black woman that doesn't make me any less qualified or any more qualified than anybody else. But at the end of the day, you have to see me for who I am and accept that and know that, okay, other people are the same way and we need to include everything. And when we talk about diversity and inclusion, that's what inclusion is about. Everything, not just one. Hell yeah. And you know what, Uh, Brandon, I want you to jump in here too. But one thing that has been very clear to me through these conversations is that we say diversity inclusion all the time now. We say these words, right? But if you don't stop and think about what that actually means, you're doing yourself a disservice. And so you have to understand that diversity means all the things that you just said, Brittany, but inclusion means having a voice once you get inside and being listened to and being cherished, right? It's not just hiring and checking the box, it's actually including within the processes and within the decisions, within the leadership. Brandon, what did you want to add there? 
to Brittany's point and your point, Brian, you hit it around the head, diversity and inclusion. I think a lot of times we need to actually stop counting heads of checking boxes and making heads actually count. Um, a lot of times, like you said, people are just checking the box that we have, you know, this person, this person, this person, instead of actually making the heads counts. And it, it's definitely doable. Right. Like we've done our job. OK, we hire these positions. Like exactly. It's got to be bigger than now. That, right. Bringing those people together and actually creating something that's bigger for yourself is ultimately what it's all about. And, I, and it's definitely doable for I've seen it. Um, our field program has done it personally. We've literally for a week long opportunity we brought people from all different backgrounds different places all over the u.s and we literally went through an entire week of literally being each other living each other and working and making things happen so why can't we happen well, on the professional level uh, with the field class i love everybody they're literally like a family i, I can't speak for myself i got a little teary-eyed when we all left oh, um, i did too <laughs> you know it was so you can see it happening. It's just now we have to translate that on a professional level. I feel like I know all you guys now. Can I be an honorary member of your friendship group? <laughs> you, you can be in, Brian. I'm as least diverse as they come, unfortunately, but okay. <laughs> I'm a 45-year-old white guy. I don't think it counts. I'm not, I'm not allowed in. No, I'm, old. I'm just playing. We have to keep some light spirit about this as well. Um, Always. You guys have inspired me, and I mean that sincerely. There's a, This is the most authentic talk that we've had on this show, I believe believe I've literally sat back and learned a lot from each one of you. And I think it's important. Everybody listening at home takes the attitude that I have, which is my role here is to listen and learn and try to shepherd the conversation. But like you guys are the stars of this. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing so honestly how you feel and what your experiences have been like. Thank you so much for having well, us. Yes, thank you so much. Appreciate you. So one quick shout out to everybody in the field fam love everybody hope everybody's doing well i mean people that's listening if you have any questions you know feel free to reach out we're always here to help yes and i owe a thanks to adrian brown to help organize a lot yes, of this adrian, and worked, worked behind the, the scenes didn't want to come on one of the shows but wanted to help me set up a lot of this she was like my executive producer so i thank you adrian <laughs> <laughs> thank you adrian yes adrian love you I want to say a personal thank you to the 10 young professionals that joined me as part of this four-part series. Their stories moved me. They were honest and vulnerable and transparent and real. And I hope that they moved you as well. I hope that even just a little bit, your perspective may have shifted or it may have strengthened or it may have changed or developed. I hope this did something to you because it definitely has to me. It's important to have these conversations, but they're just the start. It's on all of you listening to force change, to make change, to be better. And it starts inside. I think one of the themes that really came through in all of these conversations was it doesn't always have to be grand actions. It has to be the little steps. It has to be the way we talk. It has to be the way we interact. It has to be the way we listen and include. Those are the important steps we can all do starting today. You don't have to wait for something grand. You don't have to fight, scream, kick, yell. Those are all important things too. But if everybody just made small incremental changes, those would amass to massive change globally. Thank you all for listening as part of this series. It has been my absolute pleasure to have these conversations and share them with you. 